Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm looking forward to this hour because my friend David Wheaton's already on the line. We're going to bring him on in just a minute. We're going to continue our study in the book of Genesis, and we're going to recap a little bit about the, the flood of Noah's day, uh, which is uh, talk about a year-long global catastrophe that pretty much destroyed the pre-flood world. It completely reshaped the continents. Uh, what else did it do? It completely buried billions of creatures and laid down rock layers. And it was man's wickedness that brought on God's judgment. And there were eight righteous people that made it. And then every kind of uh, land animal that got onto the ark were spared and civilization began anew. We're going to continue that discussion with David. Then Richard Barr is going to be joining us. He does a lot of work with homeless and people living on the margins. And what is it like dealing with that during this COVID pandemic. Let's take a little break. Bring on David. I'm Neil Stavum, manager of Faith Radio. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about breathing. Knowing that this virus is restricting the breath of many, I've been pausing throughout the day to focus on my breathing, offer a prayer of thanksgiving for the gift of my lungs, and to pray for those who are struggling. It caused me to remember that from the moment God breathed life into Adam as the human race began, God is still giving life today. Every breath in our lungs is a gift for which we should be profoundly grateful. But this isn't the only way God gives us life. 2 Timothy tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. So when we study His Word, He brings life to our souls. So take some time today to take a deep breath, which will calm your mind, and then read the Bible and let the God-breathed words calm your soul. And let the messages heard daily on Faith Radio strengthen you and give you courage for the days ahead. Our hope is in the Lord. Faith Radio is here today because of faithful, committed friends who support us financially. Thank you for your timely gifts. Welcome to the show. David Wheaton is my guest. He's host of... The Christian Worldview, and uh, is an author and speaker and all-around wonderful, great guy. David, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be with you today, Bill. Thank you. As I was talking about uh, the worldwide catastrophe that the that, that that was the flood, feels like we're having another worldwide catastrophe. It really does. It's it's so relevant. What to talk about the flood and in light of what's going on with the coronavirus pandemic worldwide, and, and we talked about the flood last time. Uh, Genesis, I think, 7 and 8 there, and how this was a real event. This isn't some metaphor and a little Sunday school boat with some giraffe's head sticking out (laughs) of the side of it. This is a real event where, as you mentioned in your lead up here, that God destroyed every breathing thing on the earth. Mm -hmm. It's reshaped the world, as you you stated. Uh, It was all because of a little three-little word, sin. Yep. The wickedness of the world had gotten so bad to the point where God's patience had run out. And by the way, he was patient. He he had uh, Noah build this ark, and it took him 120 years. 
And Noah was to preach that you can be saved mm. over this 120-year period. It wasn't just a capricious snap judgment God made. But as you mentioned, only Noah and his wife and his three daughters and their husbands were able to be saved from this. And I think the relevance for us today is just how seriously God views our sin. It's so diminished and and so de-emphasized today is, is the word sin. And But this last weekend, Easter weekend, really drives home, maybe even more than the flood, I think, how God views our sin as so serious that he takes it so seriously and is such an affront to him that he actually sent his own son to come to earth, to, to live on earth, live a perfect life on earth, and then to be mocked, to tortured, and then to die the worst death possible, is crucifixion, all to take away the sins of the world. I mean, sin is, is a, such a major affront to God because it violates the one aspect of him that is completely different than us. He's completely holy. So it, it violates that attribute of God, the greatest attribute of God, that all the other ones are summed up in holy, holy, holy. Isaiah chapter 6 talks about God. But sin against God is, is really, um, it's rebellion against the king. It's like treason. And any just king does not tolerate treason. So the flood is, is a warning for us today that God takes very seriously our sin. And we are called to repent and believe in his son to, to save us from our sin. Jesus is like that one door on the ark to being saved. There was one door on the ark. Jesus is the one door uh, that we can be saved. And, you know, the coronavirus, as you mentioned, that, that may be a judgment of God. We just, we just don't know. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. But God does warn us that there is a future worldwide judgment coming someday when his son returns again. He's not going to destroy the earth by flood in the future. It's going to be destroyed by fire. And we really have one of two choices. We can, we can choose to bow our knee and trust in Christ willingly now and be saved, or we can reject that and suffer the consequences of eternal judgment. Those are the options God gives us, and he's a gracious and merciful God for even giving us a way to be saved after we sinned against him. Yeah. David, one of the things I appreciate when we talk is you and I never dodge the word sin ever. It's all over the Bible. Um, <laughs> right. It's, it's, it, it, is, it is the bottom line. Uh, when you talk about Jesus, behold, John the Baptist said, the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, sin is the reason Jesus had to come. Our sin, not just sin in general, our sin, mm-hmm. uh, compelled God, who, by the way, demonstrated, as Romans 5, 8 says, demonstrated his own love toward us. He, he loved us. He could have just left us in our sin and just, we would have, wages of sin is death. That's how serious sin is. The wages of sin is death. We, we earn through sin, we earn death. And so it's so serious. He could have just left us in that state and just said, well, you sinned against me and you're kind of the way we treat one another one time. Well, if you want to do that and, and sin against me, I'm not going to be your friend and go away. God could have done that, but he didn't. He loved us so much and wants us to save us so much. He sent his most precious aspect, his, his very son, to come and actually to die a horrific death so that we would have a way of having our sin canceled out. The debt of sin that we have against God was nailed to the cross, the Bible says. We have a means, a way, one way, like that ark, door on the ark. We have one way that when we repent and put our trust in what Jesus did for us, not our own works, by the way, not our, our good works, the Bible says, does not cancel out our sin. You can never do a good works, enough good works to cancel out sin. Just one sin would be enough to deserve complete and utter judgment by God. 
But God loves us so much, he sends his son to pay the penalty we deserve for our sin. And not only that, but then he declares or imputes Christ's righteousness to us, even though we're not righteous at all. It's truly the most incredible swap ever. Mm -hmm. David, have we decided on what we think the key point is uh, about the global flood? Well, the, the the key point is God takes sin seriously. Okay. Uh, That's what we've been talking about. Uh, but, of course. but the second point is God is patient and merciful and is willing to forgive. And he provided the way to forgive through his son. So it's really two points. It's our, our sin brings judgment, and yet God is patient and merciful and kind. Uh, as it says in Exodus 34, it gives, you know, most people emphasize only the loving side of God. That That's a mistake that the evangelical church today, they, they preach all the kind of the nice, warm, and fuzzy parts of Scripture the first part of Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. We love that part, and it's absolutely true. But then the second part of verse 7, there's a big word, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers and the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. That doesn't mean that God punishes children for their sins or their parents. It means that the consequences of sin of parents trickles down and affects the whole human race. And we see that everywhere today. Our sin, the whole explanation for our world, the coronavirus pandemic, that this virus goes around and kills people, it's a result of our our sin-corrupted world. All right. Let's let's talk about when when the ark finally got on dry ground. And it looks like um, Noah and his three sons uh, and family get off the ark. What was God's commission for them? Well, as you mentioned, they were on the ark for over a year. I mean, think about how long that is to yeah. be on this this boat that's just, there's no motor on it. You're just floating yeah. for a year. And so it's just a, you know, incredible, wild experience, I'm sure. So they get off the boat, and and, and the first thing God says is he reiter- reiterates what he told Adam and Eve you know, hundreds of years earlier, he says, be fruitful. Because now there's only eight people again. There's, you know, Adam and Eve, first two. Now you have only eight again. Yeah. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. And so after this flood, immediately God reiterates his initial commands to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, we kind of gloss over that, but if you think about it, that worldview of being fruitful and multiplying and fill the earth is totally rejected today. You know, it, 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 the, the thinking of the day is, the cultural trendy thinking is, we should have less children, not more. We're mm-hmm. destroying the earth. You know, we're, we're ruin, ruining the world environmentally by having children. In other words, worldview is the driving force behind why people do that. Worldview ideology is always the bottom line, but the earth is not overpopulated. Yeah, certain little cities may be overpopulated, but God told us to to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then also we see in this passage that the relationship of man and animals suddenly changes here. All of a sudden, animals became afraid of man. And this is true. We can see this whenever you walk outside in your neighborhood, you see a deer or maybe some turkeys or something. They run away from you. And I'm <laughs> glad they that? do. Right. They run away. And the reason they run away is because God put the fear of man in animals. Even the animals that are bigger, almost every animal is afraid of man, maybe the exception of great white sharks or something. Yeah. But this is why they flee the presence of mankind. And it changed the environment. Dinosaurs that were around at the time, they begin to die off because this new environment 
And then finally, the last thing that's very interesting and the first thing he says, no, I mean, this is the first thing he's telling him when he got off the ark. You'd think, well, what, you know, here's, here's my list. The last thing in the list is, he says, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God, God made man. God institutes, tells uh, Noah to have capital punishment. You know, for anyone who intentionally murders another person, it's unjust if they're allowed to continue to live, especially when there's the intentional taking of life that's beyond any reasonable doubt with witnesses and evidence. In other words, a just, a just society will not let those who intentionally murder continue to live their lives. And God thinks that's important enough to tell Noah immediately when they get off the ark. Oh, wow. All right, let's take a little break. David Wheaton is my guest. You can go to the ChristianWorldview.org, learn more about David. We're going to continue our discussion on uh, Genesis. And when we come back, I want to ask about the rainbow. And what does that have to do with God's covenant with man after the flood? We'll be right back. back with David Wheaton. I'm loving this study on Genesis and how it is so relevant for today. And right before we went to break, we we're going to pick up where we left off, and that was the rainbow that God yep. put in the sky. And what does that have to do with God's covenant with man? Well, yeah, and your point about the relevance, I, I hope people who are listening can can pick that out. I mean, everything from the global flood and the fact that it talked about sin and judgment, but also God's mercy and his willingness to save. I mean, how relevant is that? That's that's the relevant message of the whole Bible. Um, you know, the commission to Noah to be fruitful and multiply and the relationship with man and animals and capital punishment. I mean, it's just these things are are, are issues that are, are discussed and are in our consciousness today. And then you come to the issue of the, the rainbow. So now they're off the ark, and God has commissioned them with those things I just mentioned um, uh, before the, the break there. And then he he institutes, he goes from a commission to a covenant. And a covenant is basically just an agreement between, between two parties. And I just want to read that paragraph because this is something we all see on, on a regular basis. We see rainbows. And we when we see a rainbow, we should think right back to this agreement, this mm-hmm. promise that God made to, to, to Noah after the flood. He said, I will establish my covenant with you and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. There's never going to be a global flood that destroys all human life. Uh, God said, this is a sign of my, the covenant, which I am making between me and you. Um, I will set my bow, my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant with you, which is between me and you, uh, that water shall never come to flood the earth, to destroy all flesh on the earth again. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will, I, God saying, I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So God looks down on the earth and sees, sees sinful wickedness, and he's probably thinking, I'm going to judge the world. But then he sees this rainbow that he placed in the the sky after it rains. We see it in the clouds, and we always go out and say, oh, it's a beautiful rain. Look at that rainbow. We always run to the window when we see a, a rainbow. Uh, but it's been totally changed. The meaning of the rainbow has been totally changed. 
after this covenant with Noah. He promises that this is a promise. It's a good blessing from God that he's never going to destroy the earth by, by flood again. He chooses this ongoing sign. And that's what we should think when we see a rainbow. But that's not what people think when they see a rainbow or a rainbow flag today. I mean, it's incredibly paradoxical, incredibly ironic that the homosexual movement has chosen the rainbow as their symbol especially in light of the fact that God actually judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah shortly after this time with Noah in the time of Abraham, uh, who were living in Sodom because of the sinful wickedness of the city, which was mostly characterized by homosexuality. And so it's really tragic today that people see a rainbow flag today. They don't think about God's covenant to not destroy the earth by flood again, but they rather think about the LGBTQ movement. Mm-hmm. But let the, let God be true, though every man be found a liar, Romans says, that the rainbow is a symbol of God's promise not to destroy the, the earth by flood again. It's not a symbol, the rainbow, of a movement based on rejection of God's morality. All right, David. So Noah uh, plants vineyards and ends up uh, doing a little imbibing and getting drunk. Yeah. What, what a, the Bible has all these amazing transitions. No you know, kidding. It goes from this time of they're off the ark, they're saved, and here the, here's the commission, here's the covenant, the promise that I'm not going to destroy the, the world again by flood and everyone's feeling good and you know mankind's on his way again. And then all of a sudden, right there in the same chapter, 20 verses in, there's this short passage about Noah becoming a farmer. He planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. And remember, he had three sons, Shem, mm-hmm. Ham, and Japheth. Ham, the father of Canaan, that's important to remember that, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and then he told his two brothers who were outside. But the two older brothers, Shem and Japheth, took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and walked backward, and they covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. But this is a little confusing what's going on here, but somehow Noah got drunk, he drank too much, got drunk, somehow he was naked. And it was a dishonoring for a, a son to see his father in such a state. And so Ham, instead of, you know, turning away and leaving right away, decides to sort of make sport of it and tries to involve his brothers in this. Instead of just covering their father up and saying, he drank too much, let's get out of here. Uh, he tries to involve his, his brothers and they, they refuse to be involved. And, and this little sordid incident right after this blessing and covenant it is really a lesson that for all of us that after times where there's been great blessing in our lives, after times we've been very successful, we need to watch out because those are the times that we easily become proud. Our guard gets down. We tend to prioritize um, the temporal over the eternal relationship with God. And this is the case that took place with with Noah. But not only that, the the curse that when Noah comes to sobriety, the curse he puts on his son uh, who was the father of the Canaanites, turns out absolutely to be true because the Canaanites were the people living in the land, you know, hundreds of years later when Moses brings the people out of Egypt to go back and settle in the promised land. The, the Canaanites were, were Israel's constant enemies, constantly causing the people of Israel to, to compromise and worship false gods and to intermarry with them. And it just goes to show you how how this is, this is again, is this this curse of, the sins of the father, there's consequences. Again, the children aren't, aren't responsible for the sin, but we all feel the consequences of the sin made before us. But I think the bigger reminder is 
for any of us today is to remember, after times of great blessing or success, we need to be especially careful uh, that we don't uh, allow ourselves to go down wrong roads like drunkenness and other such sin. Oh, such wise words, David. All right, what about uh, the, the lineage of Noah's sons? What what happened to the, the their sons and, and what came of their families? Well, we often say that everyone everyone who's living today came from Adam and Eve, and that's true, but even more recent than everyone came from Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the three the sons of Noah. Every every race or every ethnic group in the world came out of those three people and their wives. And chapter 10 of Genesis, now we're in chapter 10 from 9, goes through the whole lineage of each of them. So you had these three sons, and it says in verse 32 of chapter 10, these are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, by their nations. And out of these, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. In other words, they populated at least the whole regional part of the world at that time. And notably, the, the son Shem is the father of the Shem Semitic you know, people mm-hmm. through whom the Savior would come. So to the line of Shem came the, the line of Christ, the, the Jewish people. And that's that's extremely notable. And then through the line of Ham, of course, came the Canaanites, the enemies of them, and Japheth. I, I believe I don't know. I'm not an expert on you know genealogies and so forth, but I believe it was a lot of the the more the Gentile tribes and ethnicities around the world came out of Japheth. And so this is notable because it describes you know from whence we all came. Oh, interesting. So uh, how was Pastor Greg Gilbert on your show? I just saw a picture of him, and he looks like my caddy. <laughs> how could he how could this guy have so much wisdom well he he is a pastor in louisville kentucky he went to yale he's a real sharp guy and in college it's interesting he talks about he grew up in a christian home and you would think most people who go to yale a very liberal place you know, might really struggle with their faith in a very you know opposing environment but he said that particular time in his life was very very important because of the opposition there it really helped him to make a choice and to get grounded in what he truly believed. And that, that really affected his life. And then he became a pastor after that. He's the pastor of Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He's a fairly well-known author as well. He's written some really—what he's really good at, He's some sometimes people are really, really intelligent and highly degreed and academic and so forth, but you can't really understand what they're, what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. He is, he is very, very good at making what is pretty complicated— very understandable by the rest of us. Yeah, well, you've got and that so, gift as well, David, just so you know. Well, to God be the glory, but uh, Greg Gilbert, uh, he's written a book, What is the Gospel? Who is Jesus? Some of these fundamental books, and he's very, very good at 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 explaining how profound the gospel is, but making it very simple to understand. Yeah, I like that. And uh, he, he's a good guest. We have, we've had him on our own radio program, I think it was the seventh year in a row, he comes on to discuss one of the elements of Easter weekend, you know, why the why the, why God, why Christ needed to die, or why, why did there do so much shedding of blood in the Bible, or how was God, how was Christ truly man and truly God? He's just really good at doing that kind of thing. Yeah, I love that. And after uh, you've listened to every one of my podcasts, you can head over to David's uh, website, thechristianworldview.org, <laughs> and that message is up there on his uh, website. David, thanks so much for uh, having this uh, time together with me. I sure uh, appreciate you. Well, you're welcome, Bill, and I appreciate you as well. All right. Have a great day. You too. Yep. Again, David Wheaton has been my guest. The ChristianWorldview.org is his website. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Richard Barr is going to be joining me. He works with the homeless. What a challenge it is this time of year. 
All right, so how do we love our neighbor in these trying times and yet stay safe? Hmm, what about people who are homeless and kind of living on the margins? And it's harder to get close to them. It's harder to meet their needs. And yet there's more of them than ever before. And people are losing homes and finding themselves disenfranchised. And who's taking care of them? Who's loving them? Well, I'll tell you, one person, Richard Barr is, and he's been doing this for a long time. And he's uh, my guest on our line right now. Richard, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Bill. So I understand this is your fifth Zoom call today. Uh, it is my fifth Zoom call today. This is the only one where the the uh, the person hosting the meeting looks this good. <laughs> you must be looking at Rebecca, not me. Uh, I'm not looking at Rebecca's name, actually. Okay, good. <laughs> that, <laughs> that would make sense. Well, it's interesting because uh, we are now faced in a such a difficult situation where people are sheltering in. What about people that don't have homes? Where are they sheltering in? Yeah, the whole idea of... Uh, the stay-at-home order, to me, when I heard the governor announce that, I mean, with the work that we do, I, 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 it was just dripping with irony for me because the first thing I thought of was that, well, what if you don't have a home? Right. Like, where do, where do you stay? Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and actually, I, I have to commend uh, the state, the county. There's a lot of tireless workers in the um, in the in the social service system that care for the homeless, the shelters, that have done a really nice job of pivoting, adjusting, accommodating, you know, within the assets and the time that they've had to deal with it. Yeah. Now, Richard, people are feeling apprehension about approaching people they know and love and care about and see all the time. I mean, we're keeping our social six feet distance from each other. Um, But what about when you're trying to have an encounter with a homeless person? Yeah, that's a little bit worrisome, isn't it? Well, you, that's unknown. yeah, you're in the trenches every day. You've been serving breakfast to uh, the homeless for years and years now. So uh, how is that going and what is that like? And are you able to continue that? We we are, yeah. So lots of changes. So we, we are, uh, Salvation Army Harbor Light has been a great partner of ours. They allow us to cook in their kitchen, use their cafeteria to serve over 100 meals a day. So um, over the last month or so, we have adapted to kitting, K-I-T-T-I-N-G, kitting our breakfasts into lunch sacks in paper cups, like a like a to-go cup you yeah. would have for soup. Yep, uh, sugar, salt packets, uh, spoons, coffee. And then we have, um, we serve out the front of their chapel, out a door. We've got a couple of tables set up that sets, creates a barrier to provide the social distance for our servers. Um, so that we have, we really only have one person that has limited contact uh, with the guests that we have. The rest of the people are back inside. Everybody is gloved, washed, gloved, and masked before we prepare the food so mm-hmm. that we don't do any harm to our guests. And, so, yeah. And Richard, that is the kind of the antithesis of how you normally operate because you're usually among them um, serving breakfast throwing your arm around someone, giving someone who, uh, who needs a hug, a hug. And, you know, you're you're a, a high-contact person. So this has been a, a strain and a relearning for you as well, hasn't it? Yeah, for, for me personally, it, um, it it really breaks my heart. So when when you get one of these kits, and I, I bet there are some of these people just think this is just a lifesaver because they're getting sandwiches and they're getting uh, some hygiene stuff and in the midst of feeling uh not only alone and 
homeless, but th- this is a, a chance for them to feel like someone really cares about them. I think so. I mean, I was there, you know, again this morning, and I mean, I there hasn't been a day that's gone by where there haven't been a couple of people that have uh, told me that, you know, God bless you and, and the folks for being here, and thank you so much for sh- continuing to show up, and we we know how difficult this must be, and um, and homeless people are just like the rest of the population. There are angry and impatient people just like there are when we go shopping, right? So yeah, I mean, totally. there are a few of those as well. But um, I, I'm, I'm heartened by the fact that people are so gracious and thankful and, and, and recognize, because it's important for our volunteers to know, because this is, this is a big change. So to get that feedback is really meaningful to them. Yeah. And how has that affected your volunteers? Has everyone continued to stay on board and just wear the masks and the gloves and keep the distance, or have you lost some volunteers? We've given we've got about forty volunteers regularly that cycle through to serve every day, and I think about seven of them have benched themselves okay. for their reasons. Sure. And um, so it's left some gaps. So there's been a few people, including me and and some others, that have stepped in those gaps and picked up more days to be able to be sure that we've got full teams on board. But we've given people the option, and we've we've count we've um, received guidance from healthcare professionals about, you know, if people exhibit symptoms, you know, to don't come. And we've had people review our protocols. So we're doing everything the best way that we know possible. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the things that you've learned since this pandemic has broken out? <laughs> um, I hate tiny little cups. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah. 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 Trying to scoop uh, hot oatmeal or grits in there while you're holding uh, it in a, in a glove. If you get it stuck to your glove, it doesn't come off. So yeah. it just creates a burn. Yeah. But some, um, of the, some of the stories from some of the, you know, the people that you're doing ministry with on the streets. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's been a whole kind of a different crowd. It isn't so many of the people coming out of the shelter because they can't go back in if they come out to get our breakfast. So it's been a number of people from like the bus station that have been coming through. I had a long conversation with a fellow on Sunday, I think on Easter. Uh, no, last Friday that had just uh, gotten out of prison and was on his way to Sioux Falls, I think, to a halfway house. Yeah. I, he had been in prison in Oklahoma and um, it was just a really great heartwarming conversation. He's a, He's a guy that's searching, you know, and we we kind of threw him a lifeline. So it was it was great to just connect with him. So there's lots of people like that that we encounter now that we didn't see before. Yeah, no, I think the question I was maybe getting at is, what are you learning from people on the street in terms of they're not sitting around watching CNN all day? Yeah, I know what I you're mean, asking. What, you what, I, just, I, mean, I just dodged your question. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you are homeless and you don't sit around and watch TV, you may not even be aware of what's going on to some degree. Yeah, there seems to be um, just a slight lag. I mean, understand that many homeless people do have mobile phones. They do keep up on the news. Mm-hmm. It's a little more difficult because the libraries are closed. A lot of them, uh, a lot of the, those folks in that population count on the libraries to use the computers to get caught up on things. But many of them have phones. So they're mostly caught up. But I do notice when, you know, a new executive order comes out from the governor or some new information or protocol changes come, there's a little bit of a lag in information. Mm-hmm. So when you uh, are m- meeting people, are you finding that there is more interest f- in them hearing about God or are they just more interested in another meal or a new pair of socks? Is there, is there any new hunger even in the, amongst the homeless people for faith? 
Boy, I don't know how you gauge that. Yeah. I, I, I know. I know for me personally, I mean, you're right. I'm a hugger. I, I, I'm a high contact guy. I, I sit, I look people in the eye. I know you are not. I'm, I'm looking over the top of a mask right? Uh, with somebody that's got both their hands full, one with coffee, one with a cup and trying to figure out where to set this bag. And um, it, it, it doesn't create the warmest environment to have those conversations. But uh, I guess what I continue to hold on hope for is that, you know, situations like this uh, are great for revival to bring people back to God. You know, we've seen that over and over and over where there's been kind of global world tragedies. You know, you can think about even in our own lifetimes, like 9-11. And so I continue to, to just think that our job as disciples is to continue to be faithful and to show up. And it might be that one conversation with that guy that just got out of prison, or it might be one other remarkable thing that could be the entire reason that we were there. Yeah, and that's that's making all the difference because this is. I, I've always said there's um, there's nothing inconsequential in God's economy, even if it's a brief meeting you have with a guy that gets out of a prison in Oklahoma on his way to a halfway house. Your small encounter with him, you just really never know in light of eternity how that will have impacted him and how the Holy Spirit will prompt that conversation back into his mind and his heart at some time down the road. Well, and, you know, you think of your own testimony, I think of my testimony, and you think of the people that God placed in our path that just, you know, sowed those seeds. And that's always our great hope is, is that, you know, we're farmers, you know, I mean, we're, we're sowing seeds in, in people's lives. And uh, I mean, it's super awesome to be on the spot where somebody says, you know, how, how, do, how do I get to heaven? What do I got to do? I'm, I'm fed up. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be that person in that spot, but I, you can count on it that there were countless people before you, you know, that sowed those seeds. Mm-hmm. And I just uh, love the power of a personal testimony. And Richard, I'd love for you to tell our listeners uh, before we go to break a little bit about your story. Oh, geez, a little bit before break. Um, yeah, so great family growing up. Uh, somehow my life went sideways. I became caught up in addiction in drugs and alcohol as a teenager. I entered recovery early in life, uh, was married I uh, had a couple of young children. Uh, I had surrendered the drugs and alcohol, but I hadn't surrendered everything in my life. And so some of the other parts of everything came back uh, in force in my life and ended that marriage, caused me to move into a bit of a spiral in my life where even my housing was uh, somewhat in question at the time. And uh, found a church, found a great woman in Carla, and we married. And uh, so we've been attending the church and uh, been faithful for the last, it's been 20 years now since I actually uh, attempted to turn everything over, all the rest of that chunk. And um, my friend Dave showed up and started serving oatmeal one day down in Salvation Army, and I just showed up to help him. Mm -hmm. And uh, God ruined my plans at that point, but he improved my life. Yeah, talk about that surrender piece, because that's something I think we all need to examine. How good are we at doing this surrender? I think that's a hard word for people to process. Yeah, well, it, it, I guess in my experience, it's never absolute. We continue to take things back, so yeah, it's, it's a true. process we have we have to continue to, to work at. But certainly there are pivotal moments uh, in my life where I, I can mark the moment and say, yeah, I, I, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired about that thing and mm-hmm. was ready to, to give it over. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you know that I've got a background in recovery and, and I love uh, some of the traditional 12-step programs. I mean, they saved my life at the time. I just needed more and where they fell short for me at the time without Jesus as my higher power, my named higher power, there were things that I still kept hidden, uh, things that I hadn't revealed to everybody and, and things that were my secrets. And those were the things that brought me down. Well, I appreciate that honesty because that is exactly where a lot of people struggle with. They they want to uh, surrender, but they hold back some of the things that they don't want to let go of. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult, and pain is probably the best motivator for that. Mm-hmm. And you've uh, written a book called Those People, and you share stories uh, about your homeless friends and people who you have encountered in your ministry which I find fascinating, and I'd love to maybe hear a story or two about that when we come back. Richard Barr is my guest. You can go to his website, richardbarrbahr.com, and we'll take 90 seconds and bring back Richard. All right, we're back with Richard Barr. Appreciate Richard very much. He's got a ministry serving the homeless, and he does it all the time. And God got his attention many, many, many years ago. And you just uh, do the next right thing, Richard. And I know you and your wife, Carla, are very committed to this. And it uh, you're, you're making, you're reaching a lot of people for the Lord, too, through all this. So way to go. Well, we are... Uh... I would say probably the great benefactors of the whole process or hopefully hopeful. I guess I call people, um, I hope there's collateral help <laughs> that's caused, but I feel like most of the ministry work that we do, that God's speaking to me about things that I need to deal with. Yeah. Say more about that. That's, in, that's very interesting. Well, for instance, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the last book that I wrote, those people and um, that came about from, you know, countless accounts of people that I've made friends with and uh, known in the homeless community and people that have been recently homeless and just noticing the deep and rich character that many of them had. And, um, and I'm embarrassed to say that I was surprised. Um, you know, people that exhibited great faith, people that had, um, uh, were super grateful, had tremendous patience. Um, I think about uh, my one friend uh, who exhibited great love. He was an older fellow on social security, living in a homeless shelter. And I tried and, and he's had two school age kids from a, 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 he wasn't married to their mother. And I didn't understand why he was there. It's like he had the means to live somewhere else. And long story short as uh, over months and almost a few years of conversations, what became clear to me was that he lived there by choice because uh, the children's mother had a um, had a critical illness, was unable to work, and that if he lived in the and he, and he couldn't live there, and there was a variety of reasons for that, but he chose to live in a homeless shelter so that he could provide the majority of that check to care for his kids. Wow. And wow. I asked myself the question. I mean, I have four kids of my own. 
um, would I be willing to live in a homeless shelter so that I could provide for my kids? And as I ask myself that question, I, I don't know that I want to answer that question. I get it. But let me just tell my listeners, here's kind of the way you operate, because you're very fearless, and I know you're, you're, you know, you're a cautious guy as well, but you really are fearless. I mean, I might roll my window down at a stoplight when someone's asking for money, hand them some cash and say, God bless, um, and, and you will roll your window down, ask them their name, and eventually invite them to your house for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> this is where you and I differ. Yeah, well, there could be a stretch of time between those two events. No, there but, will be um, a stretch of time, but I know for a fact that you, on Thanksgiving, for example, you've got, you know, a, a whole number of people in your home having dinner with you, and they're largely people you met on the street. We, Yeah, I mean, it kind of cycles from year to year who's there, but yeah, every single year we do that, and then we do kind of an eclectic Christmas thing, too, on Christmas Eve where we do something similar. So Yeah, so talk to the listeners about just the fears they might have uh, interacting with people, because... You know, a lot of people, when they're homeless, they, they frighten people. Let's be honest. Yeah, and I think, first of all, you know, and I have um, I have had people talk to me about that, especially the whole thing about dealing with panhandlers. You know, we talk about that in, in the book. And um, I, I, I wouldn't ever encourage anybody to step beyond maybe their own fear tolerance that God provides. Right. Uh, and we, we all have our different thresholds for that, whether you're a man or a woman. Um, but I think there's a tension between that and the challenge that's laid on our heart when we're prompted to try to step into something. And anybody listening to this program, think that they know exactly what I'm talking about and how to deal with the tension between the awkwardness, uncomfortableness, and maybe even verging on fear versus the prompting to step into a need for somebody. And so that's the constant struggle. I struggle with it on a daily basis it doesn't get, it doesn't go away. I mean, it, but it's something that we all have to make our own decisions for in that moment, prayerfully about what's our next move going to be. Mm-hmm. I make, t- I make tons of mistakes. <laughs> I make tons of mistakes with this. There are times I step into things that I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, maybe I shouldn't be back here. And there's times that I walk away from something and I'm like, oh man, I think I just blew it. Yeah. How do we have the discernment, Richard, to to know the difference between someone who really is in need and someone who's being manipulative just to get some money to buy some drugs later that night? Um, so that's an impossible question to answer. I get it. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes there's there's props that you go, okay, here's a constructed sign that has a lot of detail on it about all the bad things that are happening in their life. And you go, is that? real or is that just what you do to try to elicit the biggest response yeah as i'm approaching somebody i mean i'll pray quickly usually to ask god to help guide me through that and um i oftentimes and you know god's given us this this sense of discernment um i mean it's a it's a it's a gift of the holy spirit and so we navigate through those conversations to sense the legitimacy of the need. And the other thing is, is that uh, I try to err on the side of grace. I mean, you know, if I give somebody a couple of bucks or I give them an extra pair of socks or whatever, I mean, and they don't do with it what I intended, what's what's the difference? I mean, I showed them grace, right? Right. That's what I did. Yeah, exactly. So we, we, can't, we can't decide what the outcome is going to be. We can just 
offer love and grace. And a lot of the times they just want a little eye contact and a smile because everyone looks at them like they're just, you know, poisoned. Yeah, and you know that's one of the common things that I've heard over the years is just how uh, how hurtful it is to go your entire day without people making eye contact with you. It's, a, it's such a basic, basic thing. Yeah, I had an encounter just in the last couple of weeks, and I rolled the window down. I said, how's your day going? He said, he goes, it's tough. People don't even look at me. I'm a human being, too. And that's what, yeah. he, that's what he said, and I thought, oh, my goodness. Talk about getting yeah. right to the point. Yeah, how did that make you feel? Oh, I just I just felt, uh, you know, it was hard. Yeah. I can choke up yeah. just thinking about it right now. It's it's common, and, and we don't have time to talk about it now, but, I mean, there are some reasons for that that um, we can do a little work and a little preparation, and we can eliminate that from our, our course of actions if we're prepared. Hmm. A listener said, uh, do you have volunteer opportunities evenings or weekends? <laughs> Must be somebody that knows that we serve breakfast really early. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Matter of fact, we do. Matter of fact, we do. And, and Bill, so there's a new blog post on my website that you mentioned there that um, when they pull it up on the homepage, there are some opportunities to pack hygiene kits, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and then complete lunches. And if, if people want to do that, there's some instructions on that page that and some demonstration that shows how to do it, still respecting the guidelines that we've been provided to keep um, keep the folks safe. Also to, to do it with a uh, good hygiene to prepare the food and the items as well so that we don't harm our guests. Yeah. And I can move, uh, this might be a bold thing, but I can move, I think, about as much product as your listeners can provide. So we've got people dropping off sandwiches hygiene items all the time. And we formed a little packing event and we talk about it on there and there were, and there's a little video clip on one of the other blog posts. It just kind of shows how we did it, what we did. It was fun. We did it out in the driveway. We set tables up. We put X's on the driveway that kept people six feet apart and we just had a little fun with it. Well, I think, you know, having a little bit of camaraderie and fellowship, you know, with social distancing in place right now is, you know, helps people's well-being. Right now, we're all looking for things to do where we feel a little bit more engaged. So I'll issue a challenge to your listeners. There was one of uh, the folks in my Bible study uh, about a month and a half ago when this was kind of coming down or five weeks ago. And, uh, and he said, uh, a Bible study. Well, what exactly have we been studying for except for right now? Wow. And that was the point where we said, you know what? Uh, we need to mobilize. We need to take it into action. And so our group, every single Monday night when we meet, we're doing some sort of a project. We're packing hygiene kits or lunches or sandwiches or something, and then doing a devotion after that. So every single week we're doing that together because that's what we're, we're studying for. We're studying for stepping into these needs. Yeah. And then when the people show up for breakfast and they're, and they're homeless, um, do they get any hand sanitizer or anything like that that they get to have a little cleanup before they eat their food? Yeah, that's a challenge. It depends on where you are in the city. We're fortunate on the block that we serve on in front of Salvation Army Harbor Light, where there's a, a, a terrific ministry called Breakthrough Ministries. Mm -hmm. And they've done a really nice job. They're right next door. And uh, they're still rehabbing their building. But while they're in the process of finishing that, they've been doing some meal services outside. 
And the, I, my understanding is, is that they, they're the ones that provided the porta potties and the hand sanitizing stations. So oh, praise nice. God for, for that ministry. Yeah. Breakthrough ministries are great people. Yeah. There's a lot of good people doing good things. Richard Barr, you're one of them. Thank you so much for doing the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Bill. Appreciate it. You bet. Richard Barr has been my guest. His website is uh, com, And that is uh, our show for the day. I so appreciate you and the way in which you care about Faith Radio and support it. Now heading towards our 71st year. My goodness, it's hard to believe that uh, because of God's wonderful grace and love that we can continue on this fantastic journey together. And thank you generation after generation for stepping up and supporting Faith Radio. This is the week we were supposed to have our our spring share. And we're not doing it, of course, because of the uh, shelter-in order. So we're going to do it early in May sometime. But thank you for having it on your hearts as something you'd be willing to do, support Faith Radio. And you can do it uh, anytime you like. You don't have to wait for our spring share if you're anxious to do it now and would like to have that checked off your list. You can go to MyFaithRadio.com and, and give there online. So have a great night, everyone. I will see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.